So it really is a pleasure for me today to welcome Jonathan Edwards to our Christmas uh, Ledbury Poetry Salon. Jonathan's um, debut, My Family and Other Superheroes, was published in 2014 and won the Costa Poetry Award. At Ledbury Poetry Festival, though, we like to claim Jonathan as one of our poets, uh, because in 2014, he also won the Ledbury Poetry Competition, the one that really matters, <laughs> with the poem Servant Minding a Seat for His Master before a performance of The Rivals, Covent Garden Theatre, 1775. It just won because the judge read the title and he didn't bother after with the poem. <laughs> and that was judged by Ian Macmillan, which is great. And uh, it's, it's really lovely as well to see this poem in um, Jonathan's second collection, Jen, which is the winner of the People's Choice Award. That's Wales Book of the Year 2019. Jonathan was also nominated for a forward prize for his poem, Bridge. Jonathan works as an English teacher and has recently taken over the role of editor of Poetry Wales, which uh, is great. I'm really delighted to hear that news. Jonathan is well known for the musicality and humour in his poems, and so among many wonderful poems in this collection, I, I've um, just uh, picked out um, a few lines from his final poem, Song, which I really loved which begins, and it's funny me reading it, but I, d I do think it's so lovely. So come to me by plane, by train, by car, by unicycle girl, by self-drive van. And, and it goes on. I, I, I do that in the hope that that will force Jonathan to read that poem. <laughs> but obviously he is free to choose what poems he likes to read. And I have, have no say on that, but there we are. Please join me to um, give Jonathan Edwards a warm welcome. Warm round of applause. Oh, thanks, thanks so much. I'm going to stand up because I always stand up. And uh, uh, standing up puts me at eye level with Andrew Ridgely. I can direct, uh, direct, direct my poems at him for the entire evening. It's always been a kind of a, a dream of mine, reading. So I'm really pleased that it'll, uh, it'll work out at last. Um, oh, thanks so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. And thanks so much to Chloe for having me. I mean, the... Um, uh, I mean, it's fabulous that Ledbury Poetry Fest want to claim you because they've been incredibly supportive of my work for uh, quite a number of years, so I'm really, really grateful to them for having me. Um, uh, I'm going to start uh, with a poem about um, my dad, because um, we're in a, a week of big historical events, of course, on Thursday, this Thursday. Uh, at last, thank God, order will be returned to the world and Clyde <laughs> Cymru will, will more march back victorious into Downing Street, if anyone's got any sense. Um, uh, so big moment of history, and in 1956, there was another enormous moment of history, a big historical event. My dad went to the shop and bought some sweets. And uh, the sweet shop was in Park Street in Cross Keys, I'm being very specific about geography, just in case any of you wish to reenact the events of this poem in Park Street, perhaps over the next uh, uh, few weeks. So I've given the residents of Park Street fair warning that you might show up uh, to look at the building in which this, uh, this sweet shop was located. It was at the end of the street, and it was basically um, an old lady's house which she'd converted into a sweet shop by putting out sort of half a dozen, um, half a dozen uh, boxes of sweets and a weigh-in scales, partly as a kind of entrepreneurial start-up business. 
but mainly uh, to increase their chances of being a battle axe. <laughs> My father buying sweets, 1956. So here he is, 11, a little bugger, with his neat curls, his comprehensive training to be my lookalike. His mother's voice chases him down the terrace as he swaggers to the music of the coins in his pocket. His school tie, flipped over his shoulder, is a silk scarf, sported by an artist strutting from one absinthe joint to another in 19th century Paris. Now he looks in the window of Mrs Bullen's sweet shop. The reflection puts his face in a jar of chocolate toffees, grinning. Chimes announce him as he steps inside, the shop Mrs Bullen's front room. Fearsome in pastels, she emerges, eyes him, places weights on one side of the scales, sweets on the other, offers him all she has of justice. A clatter into the till and he's out and walking home a paper bag full in his palm. There are years in which the shop will go to bedsits, the bedsits to ruin. My father's mouth will bloom with fillings, but now his evening stretches deliciously ahead, and he pauses helpfully beneath the streetlight, so we can watch him lift one gleaming thing from the bag, unwrap it, raise it to his lips, so I can taste all the butter, cream, the sugar here on the tip of my tongue. So I had an email um, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it worries me a lot because um, uh, uh, saying that um, uh, a lot of poems, a lot of my poems were plagiarised, that the stories already existed, and I was stealing uh, these stories and these poems wholeheartedly. And it worried me a lot um, until I saw that the email was from my father. <laughs> <laughs> and the indication was that they'd stolen all of his stories and made me the poem. Uh, which I, I fess, confess is uh, completely true, and I'm completely guilty of this. The only thing that I do with these stories is I simplify them. The stories in their original version are much better, but they just need um, simplification in order to turn them into poems. And this is um, this is uh, one of those um, stories. It's about um, the visit of Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren to Crumlin. Crumlin is a village just up the road from where I'm from, and they filmed Arabesque, um, the movie in the 60s in Crumlin, and everyone came to to get a look at Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren, and one of those people um, who turned out that day was my dad. So this is Gregory Peck and Sophia Loren in Crumlin. Sunday. The crowd beneath the viaduct waves banners made from grocery boxes, bedsheets. Welcome to the valleys, Mr. Peck. Wind turns their chapel dresses into floral parachutes. Their perms don't budge an inch. The emotion of it's too much for one girl's mascara. We love you, Miss Loren. My father parks away from them, around the corner, in his brand new car, a 30s Lanchester, with stop-start brakes, a battery he shares with a neighbour. All sideburns and ideas, a roll-up behind one year and a flea in the other from my gran for missing Eucharist. He coughs and steps down from the running board as two Rolls Royces pull up opposite. Gregory Peck, 
three years after being Atticus Finch steps from one, says good morning. From the other, it isn't. It is wearing her cheekbones. My father's breakfast is nervous in his stomach, but he grabs his Argus pen and yes, they'll sign. Her high heels echo away through the whole valley. That's how my father tells it. Let's gloss over how his filming dates aren't quite the same as Google's. The way Sophia Loren formed her S's suspiciously like his. Let's look instead at this photo of the crowd gathered that day he walked towards to share those autographs, his fame. There, front and middle, with her sister, the girl he hasn't met yet. There, my mother. Um, I'm going to read this poem. Um, the, uh, uh, Candlestick Press, who do a brilliant job of these themed, um, themed anthologies. I'm, I'm editing one of them at the moment, ten poems about work. Um, but this one's about Christmas. They did this Christmas anthology. Um, and, um, uh, of course, they're very rarely poetry events in December, so you never get an opportunity to go out and read these things. And they gave me 20 free copies of these things, which I'm quite keen to flog. Uh, <laughs> it's never, there's never an opportunity in December to get these things uh, out to people. So if anyone wants one of these, then just, just let me know. Uh, you, know you can give it to a, a friend. Um, they're only £5, so perhaps not a really good friend, you know, but like second, second division friend that you have trouble, trouble, trouble buying for. It's got uh, Simon Armitage in it and all sorts of people. Pascal Petit. Uh, this, I had this, it was a commission, so I had the usual experience with a commission where someone asks you to write a poem and they're going to pay you, so you write the poem and you, then you think, well, that was pretty easy, you know, and it was alright, and uh, then you sort of send it to them, you also think, well, I haven't really earned that money yet, I need to do a bit more work, so then you, you write a couple of other poems and send them those as well, and then of course they don't pick the one that you want them to pick, they don't pick the really good one, they pick one of the others, so you end up with this thing in the anthology that you didn't really want to be in there. So um, when I read this poem, uh, my advice to you is if you, can, if you can imagine how good the other poem was <laughs> while I'm reading this one, then that'll be a really good way of passing the next couple of minutes. Uh, this is called The Box. And if your father's lugging, look, he's lugging something from the attic there. He's tugging Christmas from a box. Oh, out it's coming there. Look, from the cardboard. This fantastic symbol, or this tree that's evergreen and plastic. Fix it up and deck it out with toys and trinkets. Stuff which does this, shines or shimmers. If a present's placed beneath it with no name tag, then Bagsy, it's mine, or if it's yours, then listen. Now I see it, it's smaller than these are. Hey, the tree's a diva. Tinsel feather boas, baubles, rock stars, earrings dangle from all its lug holes and what's next now but this tangle of fairy lights pimped up barbed wire plug them in and mutter mouth the magic words so nobody can hear you swear and there they flash they spark they stir sometimes they even work and rapping makes a mystery of every present rustles as they're opened whispering their secrets if your father's lugging, look, he's lugging something from the attic, this box filled up with everything you were, with tinsel, baubles, with this time last year. <laughs> um, 
I've been writing uh, recently these um, uh, place monologues um, uh, about different places um, from the point of view of different places in a town. So they're the voices of um, different places. And um, I'm going to read one, if I can find it. I'm going to read um, something written from the point of view of a corner shop. So it's what the corner shop might have to say if it could speak. In this poem, um, the corner shop is in love with the owner. It's like a twisted romantic poem. Um, I feel as though every other romantic fetish has been covered <laughs> in the poem. But the love of a corner shop for its owner is a, is a new thing, I think. Um, it's important to break new ground, and here we go. So this is the corner shop. I love this hour when it's only us. The dust motes snow glow beautifully, and he sweeps round my floor and tidies my crammed shelves. He cares for me. And then we laugh together over the morning's headlines, the cartoons. I'd have this last forever. Our idyll is broken by these first or fluorovested customers. With all their appetite for lotto tickets, biscuits, Marlborough for breakfast. Then she slouches down, his wife, and he's a child again, out through the door to cover for the shiftless paper boy. I do not like this hour he's away. She spills nail varnish on my counter, smiles and smiles at the male customers. But then he's back, and it's just me, him, and the kids. They're making Brands Hatch of the shop floor. They are making Wembley of my doorway. It's been just a privilege to watch them grow, a joy all these long years. All afternoon, the regulars, who he could set his watch and his accounts by, pick up papers, tea, their chat from this time yesterday, and me, I'm right here by his side. And then it's night, and it's just me and him, just like it was first thing. What's love if it's not this? He pulls the thick, thick shutters down to keep me safe, to keep me snug, and then he looks around one final time, and for a final time that day, he curses me again, again. And then he turns the lights out, goes on up. Uh, this poem has the um, has the same um, uh, strategy, and it's um, it's a bridge. It's um, uh, from the point of view of uh, bridge. It's um, uh, in Newport. Um, this bridge, and there was a there was a story in the local paper about um, about suicides from this bridge, and about um, the. Uh, the local kind of um, rescue teams, uh, and I was quite struck by this because it's a place that I know um, uh, very, very well. Um, so this is what the bridge um, might have to say for itself if it could speak. Me, I get up early, see. I like the hour or so before the cars arrive, the city sleeping there over my shoulder, the early morning sky that is all mine, a few gulls spelling mmm out with their bodies. I make the most of that because by nine I bear the city's weight here on my back, all these commuting cars and belching vans. I hold my nose and try to keep control with traffic lights. They lean out of their windows to swear, to drop their rubbish, spit on me, to smoke a cigarette and flick a burning butt on me. The days I like the best are Sundays when I just lie in all day the acupuncture of a gentle moped, or this hand-holding couple, afternoon, 
who linger at my apex, make my view the background to their love. I've heard it said our card is marked, our day is done, what with advances in technology, hot air balloons and tunnels, gravity, but what is this but human, really, to look at the distance from here to there and say, well, what's the shortest that could be? I do not like the nights, the river's tinnitus, and the low hum a taxi engine makes is like a dream of my own snoring. Worst are those who come to visit at that hour. Here, tonight, a young man walks alone towards my middle, dumbbelling a scotch bottle under arm. He reaches midway, looks down at the river, then clambers over, stands there on the ledge and holds on tight. I feel his warm touch there. O oh, souls, believe me, I'd never let go if I could choose. I know by heart exactly what it is to just have too much weight to bear. Um, and I'll just read one more uh, for the moment. I don't know if this uh, is, uh, there may be um, uh, slightly more than uh, slightly more than 15 minutes, I'm not sure. Um, uh, my plan is to eat into the 30 minutes questions I'm getting quite nervous about what you might ask me. I, 30, 30 minutes is quite a long time for question and answer. I'm, I'm from Newport, so I've had um, police interrogations which have been shorter than that. And, uh, uh, um, also, I looked at... Uh, Chloe's question list, um, uh, <laughs> and I, I noticed that the first first question was, uh, "How do you work out the uh, circumference of a circle?" And I've got no idea. So, uh, <laughs> um, this um, uh, um, this uh, poem is uh, is about football. The fact that I'm being recorded um, allows me to speculate that um, uh, at some point in the future, uh, Ryan Giggs will click onto the uh, Ledbury Poetry Festival website and listen to this recording. Uh, so if he is listening in a ghostly fashion at some point in the future, I'd just like to, in case he's wondering, uh, declare my availability for the Wales squad for next summer um, by, uh, by reading this, uh, by reading this um, poem. This is about the first football match I ever went to when I was 12 years old with my dad. And Wales beat Germany, and Germany had just won the World Cup. Um, it's a very cruel thing if you're 12 years old and you watch Wales and they beat the world champions because they then proceeded to be absolutely rubbish for the next 20 years, and I was thinking they continued to be great. <laughs> Half-time Wales versus Germany, Cardiff Arms Park. Nil-nil. Once the changing room doors closed, the Germans out of sight, the Welsh team can collapse. There's Kevin Ratcliffe, belly up on the treatment table. Sparky hews his body, socks in the corner, floppy as the curls which he had then. All half, they've barely had a kick. Big Neff Southall throws his gloves to the floor like plates in a Greek restaurant as, in tracksuit and belly, Terry Yorath looks round at a room of panini faces. He doesn't know yet he will never get them to a major finals. He does know what to say. Ryan Giggs, still young enough to be in a boy band, stands up, doing an impression of his poster on my wall. The crowd begins to ask for guidance from the great Jehovah, and Ian Rush's famous goal-scoring moustache perks up. He's half an hour away from the goal that cues the song that makes his name five syllables. What he doesn't know is I'm in the stand in my father's coat, 
storing things to tell at school next day. My father pours more tea from his work flask and says, we got them now, but watch, and asks again if I'm too cold. What we don't know is we'll speak of this 20 years from now. One of us retired, one a teacher, in a stadium they'll build down by the river. But now it's rushy, sparky, Southall, gigs. 8.45, the crowd begins to roar, wants to be fed until they want no more. The tea tastes just like metal, it's too hot, and something catches right here on the tongue. The changing room door opens and they step out, toe touching, stretching, staring into the future. It's time to be the people we'll become. <laughs> Thank you so much for a lovely variety of poems. Oh, come and join us. Yeah. Um, so we've got some Jonathan's dad here, so <laughs> what we could do is just ask you lots and lots of questions. <laughs> what a treat. We've never, because we, we often, um, you know, ask our, uh, you know, one question we of, is often asked, which is, you know, what's true or, you know, what's the... Where are the lines between like, the I and the poem and the you? And None of um, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> None of it is true. <laughs> All of it made up. <laughs> I, I think. I mean, I think what I said about kind of simplifying stories is this. This is really, this is really it. I mean, the stories are so good that get told at home that it's really just kind of simplifying them for a poem so that uh, so that the kind of the peripheral stuff. Um, uh is is less important like the story about the the, the poem that i read about the um uh buying sweets the original story is much better because um it was it was on a day when this lady in the sweet shop had started charging for the bag so you could buy you could buy you could buy a certain this, yeah this is this is the actual so um you could you could uh, buy a certain amount of sweets, but then you have to pay extra, like an extra halfpenny or something for that. Was it a halfpenny? Do I get the details right? Is it? Um, and so, uh, I mean, Dad did this, and then took the uh, took the sweets home and told my gran, who you really wouldn't mess with my gran. There's no way, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and gran wasn't having this, so she took the sweets back and told the lady she could keep the bag and she'd have the sweets and she took the sweets home in the pinny, didn't she? So the, ba the bag was returned so that she could get the halfpenny back. But, that, but that's, I tried, I tried writing that a lot and it just was too complicated to quite work. Um, so really it's just, I mean, it's just, it's just simplifying these amazing stories so that they, so that they work in poems, yeah. Yeah. Then I could ask your dad, what's your favourite poem of John? <laughs> 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 yes, probably it is, the Boris Minor one, probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I have that one. <laughs> so, but um, I did, I do have questions planned, and, uh, but what, um, so, and I, I ask everybody to, you know, um, think what you'd like to ask as well, but I was going to, and um, one of the things I um, read um, is that you write, or you did write with um, a big th four-way colour pen yeah. 
Does yeah. everyone know those ones? Yeah. Yeah. They're great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not usual. All the great names. All so um, I yes, I I wondered whether that's um, because you're a teacher, but I thought what what a great way to ask you about the sort of how of your writing mm. and what sort of your processes and has it changed? I guess between the four way pen, are you still using? A yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, and I mean they're they're hugely important, and um, I mean there's two things. So one is like just practically how writing a poem works so so like as i'm writing a poem there'll be a line or there'll be a stanza developing but there'll be like 20 different variants on that line simultaneously so they're just the different colors are about kind of in one color you can get um like uh with continuity a kind of working version together but then all of the variants you can keep track of in different colors around the around the thing um so it's just really it really just helps me think it's really um essential to my process but then also you end up with this like fabulous multicolored piece of paper yeah. with all these squiggles and doodles and it just looks beautiful <laughs> and you just like um feel as though you're having fun at the same time and like yeah sort of like um like these are fabulous but like the the more ridiculous the pen gets like you know like pen pens with darth vader heads or like little animals on the top <laughs> and just like the more childish and like ridiculous the pen gets the more fun the poem is to write i think so <laughs> and then and then also just like the other thing with process is um uh typing it so like uh, there's usually um a passage of time between the the draft and like a few months between the handwritten draft and typing it and um at that point it's about quite often the thing becoming shorter like get like mm. in that in that couple of months uh the poem will have told you what it what it needs to get rid of and what it can afford to lose and also um things which would have been like very obvious to you in the first draft like okay this poem's about that when you get to the point of rewriting you you it, you notice that actually you haven't communicated effectively what was actually a really key piece of information because it was in your head but somehow it was so obvious it didn't get on the page mm. so um so that that those couple of months of kind of doing nothing with it are really for me really important yeah. oh so sort of put deliberately put it away yeah, and then yeah. bring it back out to kind <laughs> yeah. of see to, to see it again yeah, that's interesting. And is the colour different colours? Is that a thing of slowing you down as well? Do you think, or uh, stop? I mean, what if you're mid-flow? Do you just forget to change your colours? Um, I think it's. I think. I think. I think it works to make you faster because. Um, because basically, I mean. Uh, I mean, I, th I think. I, th I think like. Um, I used to say this in school, and the kids would laugh at me. But I, the, the, I mean, like when when a poem is 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 like on the point of being like in that initial excitement of composition, it's really fast, and it's like it's like a tree kind of growing inside your mind, like this massive tree, like at like high high speed. And but but it's simultaneously going in lots and lots of different directions because maybe I could do this in this stanza, or maybe even in this line I could do this, but. Um, so it's it's about kind of keeping um, record of those different possible directions for the poem, whilst also also that not being so chaotic that you don't kind of lose one through mm -hmm. line. So rather than kind of rewriting twelve different versions, just keeping a quick jot in the different colour of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sharing too much. People <laughs> should pay a lot of money for this stuff. <laughs> <It's gold, you laughs> <know? laughs> <laughs> 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 so 
So I was always, I was thinking that um, obviously with this uh, momentous day coming up in two <laughs> days' time that we've got on our minds, um, that it would be interesting just to ask you a bit about the sort of why of the writing and whether that's changed over the years. With, with you know, can you see and how you're sort of feeling about that at uh, this time? Yeah, I mean, I think. Um uh, I mean, I think, I mean, I suppose, I mean, with the, the, the thing about the election coming, I mean, I think the why is that, I mean, I sort of feel as though, I, I mean, if someone, if someone asked me, like, is your, is your writing political or anything like that, or do you write a political motivation, I sort of feel like I really don't, and some, sometimes, um, sometimes it, uh, the, the poems get read as being political, because mm. I'm, because I'm writing about, like, a very specific part of the world, mm. and uh, kind of, a sp out of a specific class background, and those sorts of things, but it wouldn't, um, uh i mean that that was sort of that was sort of something that i mean when a first book happens lots of things occur to you in terms of when you're collecting poems uh patterns and and why you've done something which which don't necessarily occur to you at the time so mm. the fact that i was i was writing about kind of lots of um traditionally neglected characters or or those sorts of things um i think at the t at the time of a poem you write about something that you're kind of moved to write about you know that's that just really kind of matters to you um and then also i think probably like like lots of people i mean as shallow as it is i, I you know I, I i wrote poems because i wanted to to write poems you know mm. i think um i mean for me university was a really magic place i mean i went to went to warwick and um the kind of creative writing course and the culture around the creative writing course. i know david morley was here yes, doing he one was. of these sessions so i mean I mean, I, I write poems because of because of um, how inspirational uh, the time at Warwick was, really, um, and just because I kind of love I love um, I love writing. I just love the process of creating. So, but then I mean, there are other bigger things about. I mean, I mean, recently I've I've, I've been involved with this poetry film about Truerin, and uh, you know the kind of things about um, Welsh history and Welsh mm. politics. Uh, important to me but I almost I almost feel as though I don't know I almost feel as though writing is really the thing and then you worry about you worry about what afterwards it's probably mm. the wrong way around but I sort of feel as though that's the way it's been really mm. yeah yeah I mean I think um you know the, there are certain poems that there's um I mean new build was a poem mm -hmm. in this book with that that kind of ending that's very that last line about um uh the uh, children gnawing the bones, mm, isn't it? Mm, so there's mm. some very sort of very strong, which felt perhaps some kind of shift. I I thought. I mean, do you feel? I mean, we have a second collection prize to, because, uh, which is um, something we started to kind of uh, work on. This idea that a second collection can be a real challenge for mm -hmm. in, in a kind of poet's grid. Did you have any sense of that? And when you were writing your second collection, or. Uh, how you felt you were. So uh, yeah, I mean, I, th I think basically, I think basically, um, poems are fine as long as you think about the poem and as long as you think about one thing at a time and one line mm. at a time and one thing. Um, uh, I mean, I think that's true in in all sorts of things, not just in poems. But if you think about the immediate thing in front of you, then it's fine. The moment, I mean, with both books, but with the second one, it was it was much worse. I mean, the moment of of collecting it together and, and yeah. thinking about the thing going out there. Um, was was terrifying and it, i mean it's 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 horrible it's been with with both books i haven't wanted them to come out you know i mean it's just um just a kind of terrifying and horrible horrible thing really and and worse with the second book for sure and i think um 
I mean, I was, I was, at, I go to Tinuith, um uh, a lot, and we had Andrew McMillan come as a guest reader in in the summer, and he talked really eloquently about um, about that being terrifying. The second collection, you know, and um, how how great his editor was in helping him through that. So, yeah, and I mean, now now for me, it's about thinking about the poems I'm writing for the third book, and um, uh, unfortunately, I I think. Dad's running out of story, so I'm, I'm moving on now. To, <laughs> I'm, moving, I'm moving on now to um, my grandfather, my my mother's my mother's father, who was um, a really, really, really fascinating character, a really fascinating uh, working class valleys character of his day. And he, I mean, there are fabulous stories about him. So those the the, the newer poems um, are partly about him and partly those kind of place monologues that I read a couple of in the first half. So. I'm already excited about the the poems that hopefully will come for the third book. I mean, uh, um, yeah, I think for writers it really has to be about um, poem by poem and mm. let 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 other people worry about the book. I mean, I'm saying this as though I've I've managed that and I really haven't, but I hope that I will. <laughs> yeah. Does anybody have any questions they'd like to ask? I, I sort of has. I don't know whether it's a question, but I think maybe just your take on it. I've been writing a lot about my Romini family mm -hmm. and now I'm moving because I was born in Wales as, as I told you Jonathan um, in the valleys and um, I'm sort of dipping my toe back into the Welsh culture and and yet part of me feels I, I guess what I want to know or ask is about the authenticity, about writing about stuff that I didn't grow up with, about how what Welshness is, what how that translates into writing every day. Um, I'm probably not making much sense, but this idea of Welshness, I've been speaking to a few people about it, and there seems to be a, a, a culture in Wales which love their poetry and write their poetry, and, and I'm just wondering, as I'm just starting to move into that area, and how I should maybe approach it all. And not just me generally, but anyone that's sort of been away from the place of birth and yeah. come back to it. Yeah. So is it about sort of like um, like uh, worrying about sort of you have a right to write about it, or whether people have a problem with you writing about Wales? Having is that is that the sort of thing? Well, it's more about it's more about like things like the language and the, yeah. the culture. Um, because in my Romany work, I was brought up with that, so yeah. I know a lot of Romany. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I can only remember a few of my nana's Welsh songs, and that's it. Yeah. Um, it's, it, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. I mean, I think I think I, I mean to some extent, the sort of like because. Um, because I've just been completely immersed in it. Like I don't even think about it. Like I mean, it's just. I mean, it's just a, the sort of very natural thing for me to write about. I mean, I um, in this in this second book, I mean, I've written about really big historical events. Like there's a, there's a poem about Aberfan, for example, and there's a poem about uh, there's a sequence about Truerin, and I mean Truerin is is really. Um, uh, sacred cause in terms of Welsh language culture, for example, which I, you know, I'm not a Welsh speaker, so it, in lots of ways, I, you know, there's, I don't really have a right to that experience or to write about it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the co the connection for me for the Truerian poems, what I did was was I went and interviewed people who were involved. So it, um, a guy who was who was actually involved in one of the attacks on the dam site. So that was really useful. That yes. that there was a sense of um, a sense of um, wanting to kind of represent that experience. The other thing was that um uh I mean although I couldn't although I couldn't empathize with the well, no I could empathize, of course I could empathize, although I hadn't experienced directly what 
the people in Trinidad experience. I could imagine it because I come from a similar place. You know, I mean, I come from a very close knit kind of community. So I could I could imagine what it would be if that kind of thing, which is a lifeblood for how I exist and how my family exists, that, that if that suddenly wasn't there, as it wasn't for the suddenly for the the people at Traerin. So I think, um, I think, uh, f- yeah, finding a way in, which is, which is about um, something which is very personal for you, which allows you connect to connect to sure. this yeah. would yeah. be. Um, that sounds good. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Thank you. It strikes me that like you're drawn to stories and the, that thread, um, and obviously you were mentioning kind of the wrestle with your dad's story. Um, and obviously you're prolific in terms of poetry, but is there a reason you're drawn to that short form rather than the longer form of writing stories? Or what kind of is the deciding factor there? Yeah, I haven't been going to writing stories because I'm not good at it. That's, the, that's really the that's really the answer. I mean the um, uh, so the um, yeah, I mean when I was in university, the um, uh, the creative writing department was brilliant. I had the experience of 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 I mean I wanted to write plays actually when I went to university. That was what I wanted to do, and um, uh, I, I started writing poems and stories at the same time, and the poems people liked and people didn't like the stories so I gave up the stories and started writing poems but um you were led by the audience <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but I've started actually um after the second book came out there was a while where I couldn't write poems so I did write there's actually there's actually a book of, of short stories um uh which which I haven't been able to get anyone interested in but I'm but I'm I'm going to keep trying um but I think um uh, yeah, for me, uh, I mean, one of the attractions of poetry is um, y- you write one, and if it doesn't work, then you just write another. You don't, you know, you haven't kind of invested that much. Whereas um, with a, with a kind of novel, if it's not working, then you've really kind of got a problem. So, <laughs> definitely, definitely, in terms of like life goals and things like that, it's really something I want to do. Um, I, from this experience of writing all these short stories, I figured out that I'm fine with sentences sentences are fine uh i'm not good with characters i'm not good with plot the, I, uh, people <laughs> tell me these are quite important things <laughs> so, so um so yeah my short stories are kind of like uh, lots of jokes tied together in a loose way so um uh this may or may not ever be seeing the light of day but it's been fun to do it really fun to do it yeah <laughs> Are there any poets that you reference that you go back to if you, for whatever reason, are stuck on something, or, and you think of somebody who style approach you like? Is there anybody that you would go back to for that? Yeah, Simon Armitage, I read a hell of a lot. I mean, uh, you know, the um, uh, and you'll probably see that in in the, the sorts of things that I write. Um, uh, I mean, he was uh, probably the the first. Uh, the first poet of importance that I read, you know, and just the kind of the, the vernacular energy of what he does, the humour of what he does, his connection with, with with ordinary people and with, with broadening the scope of poetry. I mean, it, for for me, is was was huge. Um, uh, who else? I mean, Dylan Thomas. Uh, Dylan Thomas uh, is enormous for me. I'm a massive fan of Dylan Thomas. The American writer James Tate is is really a big influence. Um, I I only just discovered. Um, <laughs> probably shouldn't say this publicly, but I I um, uh, uh, I 
discovered that his last book came out is is because he passed away a few years ago and his last book came out and I've recently discovered that um, one of the perks of being editor of Poetry Wales is that people will send you review copies of poetry books from anywhere <laughs> in the world. So this guy came to the door this week with James Tate's new book from New York, you know, and I was really just like, uh, like this is the most amazing thing in the world. So, um, so uh, um, yeah, I mean, the humour of his work and, I mean, his stuff is like little stories, you know. I just, I just think he's absolutely phenomenal. Um, Alan Gillis, the Irish writer Alan Gillis, is is amazing. I mean, it's just the energy of his writing. Um, uh, and Sinead Morrissey, who's, who, who comes and reads at the festival, I mean, her most recent book, I, On Balance, I just think it's a phenomenal book. And, I, you know, I mean, among many, you know, I mean, those are some among many, but, yeah. If you want to see how many books Do you have a, a sort of sense where you might take, are you going to, how you might use your editorship of, of it, or is there anything you particularly hope to do? Can we go to that? short stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, publishing short stories. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, the, so the, um, the, the first issue now, which is coming out in January, is more or less done, it's with the, it's with the typesetter, and then um, it's about, um, I mean, it, what my feeling is that the, page space that we've got just seems absurd in this massive mm. volume of, of stuff and just trying to cram it into the space so we've got um, new work by Gillian Clark in that issue, so I'm massive I should have mentioned it a minute ago when we were talking about important poets, I mean Gillian Clark is just phenomenal uh, there's an interview with Paul Henry um, Paul Henry is again one of my absolute favourite poets um, uh, and we've got um, Stephen Knight in that issue, Stephen Knight is a fabulous poet We've got someone called Shauna Darling Robertson, who I'm really, really, really excited about. I don't know if anyone knows her work, but she's she's published a pamphlet with um, uh, with Fairacre Press, and she writes these. I mean, not actually, not unlike James Tate, incredibly um, uh, funny, accessible. Uh, there's a poem in the issue about um, the '80s wrestler Big Daddy. She's got this amazing poem about Big Daddy. So I, th I think there. Are, I mean, there's there's a hell of a lot. Unsurprisingly, there's a hell of a lot of family poems in that issue. There's a lot of poems about motherhood and childhood, and um, so um, I mean, I sort of think that it's it's it's. I mean, I think anyone who reads my books is is going to have a good angle on on the sort of thing that, that that's likely to happen. So, um, but I'm just um, incredibly excited actually about about what's going to be in that first issue and issues thereafter, and just um, I mean the. I mean, I, I knew, I mean, I knew from festivals like Ledbury and I knew from the people I'm in contact with, like how many good poets there are out there. But even so, the volume of amazing, amazing poetry, mm. which just doesn't see the light of day, which is happening. Um, so just the opportunity to, to get some of that out there, it's, it's just really, really absolutely brilliant. Actually. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, I was wondering whether um, your editorial ship being an editor has informed your poetry writing. Yeah, I hope I hope so. Um, uh, I, I, um, I mean, one thing that's happened because this has just been a couple of months um, uh, is that it's 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 pretty much taken over actually for the last <laughs> yeah. couple of months. So I'm hoping it will. I think I think one I think one impact or one initial impact is um, 
feeling a bit scared actually by, by seeing like the the volume of absolutely amazing things feeling quite scared and also like deepening my sense of enormous gratitude that 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 i mean the the chances of ever getting any poems published by anyone is so slim that um but then also just being deeply inspired by like the, the range of different stuff that's out there and um uh, yeah, I just think some of the innovations that people are making with poetry are uh, kind of incredibly exciting. I mean, Sean is one of the, the people who does that. I mean, what she does with language is just really phenomenal. So the, so the, um, the, um, yeah, I'm hoping when the when the emails die down a bit and once there's an issue with it, that it'll be something that 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 is really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. But I think I think the other thing it probably does do is that sense of that sense of how your poem might look to someone. Right. I think that's, yeah. I mean, it, it makes you a bit less locked inside your own head and yeah. allows you to be a bit more objective about what you're doing yourself, hopefully. Yeah, that, that's what I was expecting you to say, that you're much more um, severe on yourself as a writer. Not severe, but more critical, I think. Yeah. I was, I was thinking you'd say that. Not <laughs> 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 the other thing, yeah. Because you, you, I remember you uh, reading that you'd said a lot of your sort of there was that in an interim period after university when you were sort of outside of any kind of literary yeah. circle yeah. and you didn't really have a community yeah. of writers, but that actually that was quite useful. Mm -hmm. So that's mm -hmm. interesting to mm -hmm. sort of hear a bit more about what, especially now as you're sort of now right back yeah, into yeah, yeah, exactly, right yeah. into. Yeah, I mean, there were about. There was probably about. I mean, yeah, there was. There was a good sort of um, five years or more, really, when I was um, just. Uh, um, I'd left university. I didn't really know um, because I came back to Wales, so I didn't really know writers. So I really was just kind of like day job, and then kind of evening and weekends and summer holidays, just kind of constantly writing and sending things out to magazines, getting them back and sending them somewhere else and get. Um, and. Um, uh, um, I mean, yeah. In retrospect, I'm I'm really very grateful for that because I think it means that my writing has ended up with quite idiosyncratic habits, mm -hmm. you know, because I've kind of not been kind of part of any sort of um, uh, clique or, or anything like that. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's um, I think on the whole that's an advantage. And um, uh, I mean, now I don't really. I mean, I don't really. Um, show drafts of things to anyone I do everything myself and I that's not really that's not out of um that's not out of arrogance or or thinking that it wouldn't benefit from that it's more about um having been through two books and the editorial experience of two books and those sorts of things I really genuinely believe and this is a suicidal thing to say um since I since I um teach so many workshops and so on but I really do think that no one knows the poem as well as the writer does or cares about the poem as well as the writer does or ever will so um uh i yeah i think i think i think definitely hold on to those um uh moments of kind of isolation and being away from writing communities as well as as well as kind of grasping onto them at the right time and coming to all of my courses at tnu <laughs> yes of course <laughs> and so then in that sense when you do you present a book to your editor almost as a finished thing i mean will you, will you have where the sections are did you decide on the sections and the how you wanted it to look on the cover and all those things are you quite clear about those then 
Yeah, so the um uh the um the poems, yeah, um, yeah, I'm very clear about that. The co the cover with both books um, has not been my choice. Um, has it not? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, were you given p pictures to choose from, or how? Did uh, um, uh, so I mean, basically, like, for, for, so for example, for this second book, um, uh, there's a Welsh artist called David Carbonini who does the most amazing. Uh, views of terrace streets mm. um, with like you know Valley's characters in these terrace streets they're mm. phenomenal because um, it is paintings. gorgeous I mean it seems to fit yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah but th he's another guy this this one's done by Kevin Sinnott so ah. basically I proposed to Carpanini and they oh. they were no but but they came up with this and yeah. I, I love that I mean I yeah. think that's I think that's fabulous yeah and Kevin is is a really wonderful person and um, yeah I was th really thrilled with that I mean that that kind of encapsulates the book uh, for me so um, so the, I mean the the um, and now now we are talking about the cover of the first issue of Poetry Wales, and I'm proposing things, and they're saying no, and then I'm <laughs> no, <laughs> so so um, so that's always well, that's always what it is, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but I've been really lucky with both covers, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And did you choose the titles of the two books? Was it your did. choice of titles? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and the the first book. Um, the first book, uh, there was a poem with that title, and then it turned out the poem wasn't very good, so I dropped the poem but kept the title. <laughs> and then the second book, um, there's a poem with that title, and um, uh, no one liked that title for the second book, so they, they tried to get me to change it, but no one came up with anything better, so it ended up being what it is. So, mm. so yeah. yeah. No, it's all right. I, I can remember going to, a, it was a lady who'd written a novel or whatever, and she got it accepted and published and, was, and it was going out and she then got a call back to say we want a different title yeah mm. and she said no and she said well, well if we want to stop this in um, yeah, in yeah, particular yeah. place it was to be stopped in they want a different title so it stands out and I just wondered whether that may have had an impact on the titles you've got but obviously not yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think, um, I think if someone had, I mean, it, it, it only ever got to the point of like, we don't like this title. It didn't get to the point of, can you use this instead? I mean, if it ever had, then, I mean, it may, it may well have been better. I don't know. It, it, I, I think that, I think that, um, it's probably less of a problem with poetry because I mean, pe people will let you do what you want, really, more so with poetry. Um, because there aren't those commercial imperatives, basically, you know. Yes. So, um, but there are. Um, I mean the cover. I mean the cover is um, uh, because it's the identity of something that you've kind of worked for five years on, and you feel like really emotionally connected to. Uh, so um, I mean I can completely empathise with someone saying change the title. No way am I going to change the title. You know. So um, and there were there were I mean covers came to me which I was like no way no way because it's not the book. Um, so. Um, yeah, I suppose you come to you come to you come to what you can live with, really. And when the, when that that cover came, I thought, wow, that's really. I couldn't have found something better myself, you know, yeah. than that. But it's just perfect, really. So, yeah. And do you find it easy uh, finding titles for your poems? Because <laughs> <laughs> they are. You obviously have fun fun with it. Is that something that will happen first, or will you find the title after the poems happened? Or? Was it mixed? <laughs> yeah, so there's um, uh, another poet I should have mentioned earlier is Thomas Lux, the American, um, who, um, I mean, I get a wonderful, wonderful American comic writer who's passed away in the past few years. And um, did he read a lab yes. library? Yes, yes. Yeah. 
No, actually, I don't think he did. I think he wanted to and couldn't. Yeah. But phenomenal, phenomenal poet. Um, and he has incredible titles. The titles of his poems are incredible. And his favourite writing exercise was automatic writing. So he would he would get up every morning and just fill a page with, uh, with 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 stuff, you know, just kind of a, br a brain splurge really on the, on the page and then go back and see what there was in it. And because he'd said it, I kind of did that religiously for quite a few years, really. And um, a number of titles came out of that process. So in the first book, there's a poem called Bookcase Thrown Through Third Floor Window. So that was a in a, in a <laughs> page of free writing. And there's another stupid one, which I can never even remember the title of myself, which is about a restaurant. It's called something like um, restaurant where I am the maitre d and the chef is my unconscious. <laughs> I, I was given, I was given, I was given a reading the other day and I couldn't remember the title and uh, someone in the audience knew it, which I thought was great. They knew my poems. They knew my poems better than I did. I thought it was far. It's great when you get to that point. I, I, I saw um, saw Don DeLillo read in in London a few years ago and. Uh, um, uh, Someone they asked him about this book that he'd written in the 1980s, and uh, this incredibly detailed question about one sentence in a book uh, that he'd written in the 1980s, and it was a really long question, and it went and went and went, and um, at the end his answer was just like, you know, um, I remember that there was a time called the 1980s, and I remember I may have written a book with that title in that period, but beyond that, I can't, I can't really help you with this situation, you know. Um, but yeah, th so those in free writing. So then, I mean, the yes, because then the writing the poem just becomes a process of explaining the title. So it's like easy writing the poem's easy because you're just explaining the title. Um, uh, yeah, and I think um, because I think I, I think um, uh, you should um, the title should be partly. You can't, the page can't do what a reading can, so you can't, mm. like, explain to the audience mm. what, you know, on the page, what you would what you would want to explain to them in a reading, so you kind of got to do everything in the title or in the first um, stanza. Don, Don Patterson puts this in, Don Patterson says, um, a poem should create the context for its own understanding, which mm. is just, like, a brilliant, brilliantly uh, great way of putting it. Um so the titles are partly an attempt to do that and partly an attempt to advertise the poem. Um, I'm terrified that people won't read them. Uh, so uh, <laughs> so the poem is a, an attempt to, to get them to do that, the title. Yeah. Any final thoughts or questions? Otherwise we'll ask Jonathan to... What um, age group did you teach, Jonathan? I've stopped teaching, yeah. Oh, I, I, stopped, yeah okay. I, I gave it up six months ago because oh. of the, the poems are going so well. So oh, so now I teach any age group that will have me. Yeah, 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 yeah. I yeah, yeah. whether you're, um, you know, this, this day and age, how enthusiastic your young pupils were about poetry. They might be more enthusiastic now that I've left, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the... Um, uh, I mean, I was teaching secondary, so um, uh, I mean, I, I loved. Um, I mean, I loved um, when you could get going, particularly with key stage three kids with creative writing, you know, and you could um, you could do more or less what you would do in a creative writing workshop, you know, and uh, and do all sorts of crazy, insane things, and see what poems uh, came out of it, and and the joy of kids in in writing poems and in creativity. 
Um, and then uh, when they get older, you have to uh, start on exam work and bludgeon poems to death by examining them, you know. So. Um, but no, it's 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 great fun, and now I'm now I go anywhere and and teach retired people and uh, and youngsters, and um, I'm greatly enjoying that. And in fact, there's uh, one of the really lo- there's some lovely poems here about being young and the kind of youth and uh, which are really crackling with that sort of feeling of I mean, um, do you think teaching kind of kept that fresher for you? Maybe I mean. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I mean, I think that that yeah, teaching teaching it is like that. I mean, it's like um, three hundred miles an hour, like constantly. You're constantly kind of uh, at high speed, and I I do think I do think that I mean, my writing is very often about pace and internal rhyme and rhythm, mm. and I do think that that kind of yeah, just the kind of mindset that teaching gets you in of kind of zoom, you know, it's mm. like um, I think that's there in the poems. I would say. Mm. Mm. Well. That's lovely. Thank you very much. <laughs> that was. <laughs> so, um, please do um, give us um, some last poems. We always like to finish on poems because it's so lovely, isn't it, to finish with um, Jonathan's voice and his poems. So. I'll, I'll read. Um, uh, as I mentioned um, earlier, and uh, I mean, the, the festival has done uh, like so much for me as a writer. And uh, one thing that happened was um, uh, I got invited to this uh, festival in Genoa, in Italy, and. Um, uh, we um, we went to a prison, uh, so we went to read poems in the the prison in Genoa, and we were supposed to take our passports as um, identification, so they would know that we weren't uh, sociopaths or something, and and let us into the prison. And I, of course, I'd uh, forgotten mine. Um, so um, so there was this moment of the um, uh, prison guard uh, googling me on his phone. <laughs> And then holding holding uh, a picture of me on his phone next to my face in order to double check that I was the person that I was claiming to be, and then uh, as a result of that, let me into the um, prison. Yeah, I, I made it out as well. Um, but I mean that I mean that's among the kind of uh, phenomenal experiences that the festival has given me. So I'll read a poem um, set in Italy. It's um, it's uh, about a nun, and this nun. Uh, was riding a bicycle at high speed uh, past me on a street in Italy, and I thought this is a gift. Um, So this is about her. Nun on a bicycle. Now here she comes, rattling over cobbles, powered by her sandals, the gentle downhill and the grace of God. Now here she comes, her habit what it was always waiting to become, a slipstream, past stop signs, the pedestrian traffic at rush hour, the humdrum mopeds, on a day already thirty in the shade. With her robe fluttering like solid air, she makes her own weather. Who could blame her? As the hill sharpens, she picks up speed and smiles into her future. If she interrupted the Our Fathers, she's saying in her head, to say, we, a gentle, we under her breath oh cycle sister look at you now freewheeling through the air conditioning of the morning who's to say the god who isn't there isn't looking down on you and grinning um i'll read a couple of uh, animal poems i um i write um i write a lot about um animals and um 
uh, I've managed to, I don't know how this happened, but I've managed to um, uh, talk the poetry school into letting me do um, a writing workshop in Bristol Zoo, which is going to happen um, uh, next spring. Um, so we're putting together plans for, um, I don't know, my, my, my teaching plan is basically, you know, look at those flamingos, write a poem, that's basically <laughs> as, far, as far as it goes. Um, but it's going to be really quite awesome, I'm very excited about this indeed. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll read this, this is about um, uh, my favourite animal, um, uh, which is a hippo. The hippo is solo, hobo, incognito, two boulders curving out of murk. In a zoo his photo advertises, doing a sponsored sitting still all day. Stop being a cliché, hippo, or I won't write a poem about you. Then you'll be sorry. What is your body but the verb to wallow? What is the water but a part of self? Google says you can crush a fortiera between your jaws. They don't say how they test this. <laughs> Candy floss high boys crowd your glass, betting they could hold their breath underwater longer. They could leap from one boulder to the other. I abandon you for the giraffes, stupid as window cleaners. The lions, sunshine with teeth, but keep coming back. If you were to rise, show your eyes, your mouth, would you have Martin Sheen's mud-crazy face breaking smoke water in apocalypse now? Closing time, one last go. Oh please, hippo, don't be so self-effacing, so tight-fisted. Come on out, don't you know we love you? Wait. Is that a flash of flesh, a hippo peep show, or are you still snoozing? A little girl says, Dad, that island's moving. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one has um, the same sort of strategy. It's about um, lions. It's the lions in Bristol Zoo. And this one um, is written in the uh, voice of the lions. It's what the lions have got to say for themselves. Uh, I went to Bristol Zoo to look at the lions and try and get a poem about them. And the lions were just asleep all day. They were just lying there, um, fast asleep. Um, uh, so I left Bristol Zoo very downhearted, um, thinking that I couldn't get this poem about the lions because they wouldn't do anything all day. Uh, and I was driving home um, across the Severn Bridge, and the lions started speaking to me um, in the voice of John Lennon. Um, and if you, if you ever have this experience... Um, then either write a poem or seek medical attention <laughs> uh, options. This, in this case, I wrote a poem. Uh, I was listening to the John Lennon song, I'm Only Sleeping, uh, in the car radio, and um, the, lion's, the lion's voice got mixed up with John Lennon's. Uh, and this, this is the week of the anniversary of, of the death of John Lennon, isn't it? So, um, I've just been writing some new poems about John Lennon, which is why I've been uh, thinking about that. Uh, lions asleep. So look, don't bother us, we're only sleeping. Our arms around each other and our eyes tight closed. We drift, we doze. Here on the hearthside rugs our manes are, holding the hot water bottles of each other, we are dreaming. Do not disturb, don't make us toss or turn. We're having forty winks, our bodies coiled or curled around each other. So it's never clear where I end, where he begins. This glass is thin, don't bang, 
don't knock. We're in the land of Nod, so turn that flashlight off. And tell your young, face painted for the day with our markings, roaring to be us, not to butt this window with their heads now, please. Asleep in bed is where we are. We know the zoom map makes us cover stars, but jog on, please. Go see the seals, who'll show it all for sprats like strip club dollars thrown in their direction. Leave us here, beneath the covers of each other. As a treat, if you are very good, we'll make your day a little later. Get up, pace about a bit, or raise our heads, offer our pink yawns, but don't be fooled. Beneath these snores we think our thoughts, and death sleeps in these pores. So I'll, I'll read um, two more poems. Um, uh, this is um, uh, the poem um, uh, which won the, the Ledbury uh, uh, Poetry Competition, which I was really um, absolutely thrilled by um, uh, because the I mean the festival had been something I'd been coming to for years, and and when I got that phone call, it was just um, just uh, absolute amazement. Um, uh, the poem uh, I, I, this actually came out of teaching an A level class, so we were. Um, teaching the rivals and you can't now just teach the text you've also got to teach the background uh, and the problem with teaching the background was that I didn't know anything about the background so I was trying to find stuff out and what I find, found out was um, that in the theatre in the 18th century um, you couldn't buy a specific seat uh, and it was really popular so you had to mind your seat so you had to like, get there hours early and guard your seat so that no one else could uh, take it and if you um, were rich, of course, you didn't do this yourself. You paid someone, uh, you paid a servant to do this for you. So I was thinking about what would that servant be thinking, the servant who's been sitting there for sort of four hours, and then at the last minute the rich guy comes in and takes the seat, and the servant never gets to see the play. So it's about all that. I do what I'm told, me. What does sir need? Some pleb to take a load off, guard your seat, to sit right back and put his paid-for feet up, Three hours, four, sat on your hands. Governor, I'm your man. Sir, master, boss, it might seem wasted time, but it's no loss. My master is a god to me. The one thing that bothers me is Gossip John, who minds the next seat over, passes hours, now whispering about our master's trips after dark to some house on the docks, now of our lady's preference for cloth to silk. Or how she passes like the breeze through servants' rooms which echo with her squeals. It's all a gas for John to sell or share their weaknesses, their joys. I wouldn't dare. He spills the beans and turns to me and winks. I blush and turn away and bow my head and say the thing that's often been heard said about my master by the Duke of Gloucester. His dignity, his wit... It's a relief when Master comes, leading his frilly daughter. Now nobody would see we're up so quick, the subtle look that flicks from her to me as Master's arse slips snug onto the seat I've warmed for him. I've never seen a play, but as I walk away from this performance, the sound of clapping, listen, dogs my heels. And I'll just um, finish with this poem, uh, with uh, great thanks for listening, and thanks again to Chloe for having me. I'm really 
so grateful for what the, the festival has done for my writing. Um, so this poem is all for all of you, but mainly, to be honest, it's for Andy, Andrew Ridgely, who I'd, I'd like to, to circle back at this point to, and thank him for, thank him for cheering me on um, uh, in the process of this reading. Uh, this is about a very similar person to Andrew Ridgely. It's about uh, Kirk Cobain, um, the lead singer of Nirvana. And the, uh, this is another local story um, uh, which got simplified in the course of the poem. And um, the legend is that in 1991, uh, Kurt Cobain came to um, Newport and proposed to uh, Courtney Love, his wife. Um, she was playing in TJ's um, with her band Hole, and Kurt Cobain supposedly showed up there and proposed. So this is about all that. Kurt Cobain proposes to Courtney Love. Some young dude staggering from the station, all jeans and grimace, all tufty coat and peep-toe sneakers. That's nothing new around these parts. He rubs his eyes, approaches this first stranger. Excuse me, do you know the way to a place called TJ's? That voice he has. A mile away, Courtney Love is sound-checking, warming up. Rain comes down as he passes the ruined castle, crosses the bridge, statistics say, more than 30 people will jump from that year. Nevermind has been billboard number one for six weeks now. What exactly does a human being do with that much love? I am four miles away and 12 years old, and Kirk Cobain is walking through Newport, three years too early for me. At the door of TJ's, his nose ring, the biggest fan in the world, just tells him the price, stamps his hand. Inside, his eyes are custom, and he spots her at the bar, back to the room, her mane, her little girl's dress. People are brought into being by moments like this. Kirk Cobain is crossing the room in TJ's, Newport, is falling to his knees, the cold floor through ripped jeans. The barman leaps across the counter to deal with some punter, and the bouncer, grinning, gets in the way as one girl punches another. Of course, there are those who say all this is folklore, legend, gossiped up by someone with a romantic imagination or a marketing background. I am 12 years old and dreaming in a room lined with posters of footballers, and on Newport Bridge, a couple are walking hand in hand, the man pausing now, perhaps, to light a cigarette. In that sudden spark, someone passing might almost glimpse his face, before he turns away, before he walks again into the dark. <laughs>